The scripture reading this morning will come from John chapter 13, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, The scripture that was read this morning, of course, is talking about the Apostle John and keeping in line with a series that we have going throughout the years. Occasionally, we do a lesson on one of the apostles, and in just a few minutes, we'll study a lesson from God's Word about the Apostle John and see if we can learn what he learned in his life on this earth. What an exciting day it is. Uh, We've had a wonderful week this past week with Vacation Bible School, and we appreciate so much uh, David McIndoe and the many, many hours that he and his family have committed to this work and the great success that this Vacation Bible School has been. We give God all the glory, but we realize that God works through us, and we appreciate uh, David being that uh, tool in the hand of God this week. Also, uh, Katie Whitaker does so much and did so much uh, with Vacation Bible School this year. All that she did. And if you can imagine this, if you've never helped with Vacation Bible School, you can't appreciate this. But if you've helped with Vacation Bible School, you can really appreciate this. After helping direct Vacation Bible School this week, she is in Maryville, Tennessee, beginning to help direct another Vacation Bible School with our teen mission trip. that directed our vacation Bible school there, and it was a daytime vacation Bible school and a nighttime vacation Bible school. So if you can imagine, this is her... March or April. And uh, we appreciate the tremendous commitment that she has to teaching children and love for Christ. Let's be sure and be prayer for all of our youth. be reached. Also today is a wonderful day because we have an opportunity as a church family uh, to prove our love for God. When we study in 2 Corinthians the 8th chapter, the topic is about giving and in that passage he teaches that our giving proves our love for God. I want to read just one verse, Psalms 116 and verse 12. Listen to this question that the psalmist asks as he says, what shall I render the Lord for all his benefits toward me? You know, that's the way we as a congregation, I suppose, feel here at Mount Juliet. When we stop and we consider all that the Lord has done for us here, what can we render to Him? And this morning, as we have already given, as we've been prospered this week, uh, we'll have the opportunity to give as we reflect upon what God has done. And all that hopefully we can do for the glory of God in the future. And let's consider that. Man, just a few minutes, we're going to mark the 10th chapter. If you want to be turned 
Mark, the 10th chapter. But as A quick points. Before we do that, let A fellow was driving down the road and he looked over and he saw a fortune teller sitting next to the road and she was just dying laughing. And he went on further down the road, he thought to himself. He turned around, he drove back, she was still there, dying laughing. And so he went out and he began to smack her around. And a police officer came and stopped and says, what are you doing? He said, I've always wanted to strike a happy medium in life. Now, I know that's corny. I know it really doesn't get much more corny than that. But, will you think with me for just a minute? Isn't that one of the, the key fundamental aspects of life is to striking the right balance? Job. And it's a job that would prosper them and their family and the work of the Lord. But instead of allowing it to do that, they engulf all of their life in their job and they ignore their family and they neglect their God and etc. And we say, you know, they had such a wonderful opportunity, but they couldn't strike a balance. Or you see someone that goes in to a relationship. And in this relationship, instead of dealing wisely with the relationship, they go to one extreme or the other. They become overprotective or they are careless in it. Or maybe we've seen individuals with their personalities. For example, someone that, that's humorous, but yet they carry their humor to such an extent that they really aren't productive to their family, to themselves, to their God. And we say, you know, they could be such a pleasant person if they would just strike a balance in their life. Or maybe we've seen someone that's organized and thank God that there are organized people. But what if someone goes to the extreme that they make everybody's life difficult and they become a controlling person and you say and God's will in every John shows us as we study his life as a whole not just one section of him or his writings. But as we study his life as a whole, we see a man that was a good man, but he didn't have things in a perfect harmony and in a balance that it needed to be. But then when we read of his writings later in life, we see that he was able to strike that balance. Let's think about these quick facts about John. First of all, he is one of the apostles that was no doubt in the inner circle of Jesus. He was very close to Jesus as the scripture that was just so capably read for us just a few minutes ago. We see that Luke records that he was on uh, the chest there, leaning upon Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to hear everything Jesus had to say and he wanted to physically be close to Jesus. Although he was a part of that inner circle, he usually was not one that stood alone. As a matter of fact, we only see him in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke standing alone one time. Usually he's standing along with his brother James. We go over to the book of Acts, usually he's standing along with Peter. But it's interesting that he doesn't seem to be the type of man that stands out alone very often. But no doubt, he stood with the Lord. He was very close to the Lord. Secondly, we need to remember that John was a tremendous asset to the book that you and I hold. No doubt it was written by inspiration, but as we stop and consider who are the authors of the New Testament, we know that Luke wrote much of the New Testament, writing Luke and Acts, two long books. 
We know Paul wrote more than anyone else in the New Testament, writing 13 epistles at least. The volume of writing in the New Testament is that of John, writing the Gospel of John, writing the three epistles of John, and then writing the book of Revelation. And so it is, as we read through the Gospels, we can learn about John even as others write about him, but then we can read his writings and we can learn much also about the heart and mind of this individual. A third thing that we need to see is that no doubt he was a leader of the early church. When we think about the establishment of the church, he was one of the apostles. But also he was one that endured physically and spiritually. Now as we tie this in to the third point, the leader of the early church, it's interesting to note that he outlived all of the other apostles. The other apostles, history would tell us, were martyred. He was the only one that lived to a long life, an old age, and he aged very well. But please note this. When we consider all that he went through, we don't ever see of him leaving God. And that's the most important aspect of you and I aging on this earth. Will you be with God next year? Will you let a challenge, will you let a tribulation, will you let peers, will you let Satan working through any source... John was one. It wasn't always easy for John. What I'd like for us to do is to use three passages as a setting, if you will, for us to see the struggles that John had as a young man, as a young disciple of Jesus Christ, and then see how he was able to balance some things out later on in his life. We're reading in Mark the 10th, and we're going to read verse 35 through 38. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, talking about to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever... Your children, to pull that one on you? It kind of shows a, a little bit of a, a level of immaturity, even in stating that, going up to the one in authority and saying, First of all, let's get this straight. You are going to say yes to this, right? And then we read on. He says to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may set one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. But Jesus says to them, You do not know what you ask. Yes, not only do you
It's because Jesus didn't say to him, I'm so proud you asked for that. It was out of balance. Look with me, if you will, to Luke the ninth chapter 50. Luke the ninth chapter 49 and 50. And we're going to see another time here as a young follower of Jesus that this young man deals with a situation and the Lord can't say to him when it's over, you've done well in that. We're in Luke 9, 49 through 50, and he says, Now John answered and said, Now, if you've been noting what we've studied already in this sermon, it's going to stand out in your mind. You're going to say, wait a minute, John's standing alone here. Remember a while ago we talked about in the quick facts that John stood alone one time in the Scriptures? And isn't it a shame? It's not good. He stands alone one time in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the Lord said, Wow, you messed that one up. Well, what did he do here? Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. And Jesus says to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Here, we see that ambition that he has to just jump in there and and take control of things. But isn't it interesting that here, as he wanted to take control of a situation, he didn't stop first to investigate. How hard would it have been to go over to that one that was casting out demons and say, can we talk about your faith in Jesus? I noticed when you casted out those demons there, you said you're doing it in the name of Jesus. How do you know Jesus? When did you follow Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? It wouldn't have took very long for him to realize this man really is a follower of Jesus. Or how long would it have taken for him to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I didn't know you already had followers in this town. When did you teach this man? And to think how Jesus could have said, well, this is how that man was taught. But you know, sometimes in our immaturity, We're so quick to do things because our ambition is boiling in the wrong direction and from a false motive. And here, even though at this time, it's no doubt that John wanted to serve God, it's just interesting to note how quick he was to mark an individual and to actually tell that individual, you stop doing that work when that person is doing a wonderful work in the name of Jesus as a follower of Jesus. We say, how could someone be off so much? Well, it's easy to get our balance off, our equilibrium to be wrong if we don't mature in the Lord as we should. Look with me as we drop down just through the next paragraph here in Luke 9. Now we're going to read verse 51 through 56 on your screen. I believe it'll be 52 and following. Luke 9, let's notice this story here. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that, and this is talking about Jesus to be received up, he would first go to Jerusalem. So it says that he said, fastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered into a village of Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. 
And they went to another village. This is interesting, the strong rebuke that he has, that Jesus has given here. And when we think about this, you might remember that we studied this a few months ago, even when we were studying about the inner circle of apostles. And we studied about these two, James and John, being called Bonerges, or translated, Sons of Thunder. How do you get a nickname, Sons of Thunder? You know, a lot of times guys take pride in their nicknames, and, and they don't want a wimpy nickname. And here's two guys that they had a nickname that apparently the Lord either gave them or approved of, and He said, Sons of Thunder. How'd they get that? Well, here's a village. No doubt they would be against Jesus. They were Samaritans. And Jesus was on His way to celebrate a religious feast down in Jerusalem. They're not going to approve of them being Jews. They're not going to approve of the worship that they're about to take part of in Jerusalem. And so the Samaritans were simply saying, we don't want you in our village. We don't approve of you and the God, or at least the way you worship God. And instead of... Instead of turning the other cheek, these two brothers are apparently serious. When they look individuals in the eyes and say, Jesus, you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy these people? And Jesus says, you have it all wrong. That's not even the spirit that we're about. It's interesting to me to think when John would have sat down to write the gospel, and you remember John, the third chapter, he's, he was recording Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation. I wonder if this occasion went through his mind whenever he started writing in the third chapter in verse 17, Jesus' words when he says that God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus was trying to help John understand, I'm not out here wanting to, to just strike people down. I'm not wanting to teach people. I'm wanting to draw them into salvation, to draw them into a right relationship with my As we think, I want you to think with me of three things. You see, the John that we read of early in the Scriptures is the John that seemed to be consumed with truth. Black and white. Are they a follower of Jesus or are they not? I don't believe they are. You stop casting out demons. Do you agree with my Lord? Do you agree with God? No, you don't. Let's call down heaven. Where's the love in there that, that says, let's be patient. Let's see if we can draw them to God. It's interesting when we study 2 John. You know, 2 John is just one chapter long, and it's only 13 verses long. It's interesting that when we study this, the first half of this, of this chapter, of this book, he's writing to the elect lady and to her children, and he's talking to them about love and how important it is to love one another and how important it is to walk in love. And then the last half, he's talking with them about how to deal with false teachers. Now, 
if this would have been the young man John writing, how do you think he would He would have told the first few verses about how and destroy those people that just won't teach the truth. No, he doesn't. You see the words, for example, in Luke the 6th chapter in verse 27 and 28 of the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. You see, John not only was hearing those words, but John was starting to live by those words. Truth and love. We're not on this earth to see how many people we can condemn. And as we read, may grow up in all things unto Him who is the head Christ. So we say, okay, I want to grow spiritually. How do I grow to be more like Jesus every day? He says, if you want to grow more like Him, He says, learn to speak the truth and learn to speak the truth in love. And so we see from this and from many other passages that truth alone is not growing up like the Lord. Love alone is not growing up like the Lord. But to be able to speak the truth in love is to be able to grow up like the Lord. How do we deal with our children as parents? Our responsibility is to help our children learn the truth and to speak it in love even to our children. If all of our instructions to our children is with a pointed finger and a tone of anger, we have missed the opportunity to speak in love as we teach our children the truth. Someone says, I just don't understand why devotionals are such a big deal with families. It gives a wonderful setting for truth to be taught in love. And that sets the groundwork so that in the times of discipline, whether it needs to be correction, truth can continue to be spoken in love. We think about in the workplace. Do you just really enjoy a good religious argument? I hope not. Have you seen those people? Those people that love to just argue? What good is an argument going to do? Even if you win the argument, what good is it going to do? Just turn a lot of other people off. You've made the other person even more angry and built up the barrier. What about sitting down at work and talking in love with an individual? You see, some people would rather win an argument than to see a soul won. You see, when we're striving to win a soul, it has nothing to do about us. It has everything to do about that person and God. And all we are is that simple mouthpiece that says, 
Have you considered this passage? Have you done this? I want to relay this, not as if I'm the only person. There would be many in this room right here that could say the same thing. But for those that don't understand this, I hope you can understand your misunderstanding. I strive to study the Bible with individuals every week. My goal is to have no less than three studies every week with individuals, and I've done this for years. I can put on one finger the number of arguments that I've ever had with an individual in Bible study. Haven't agreed with everybody I've studied with, but there's no reason to argue. Haven't been a pushover. Left many Bible studies disagreeing. Left many Bible studies with scriptures written down for them to give further consideration. Friends, what does an argument produce? Anger, bitterness, high walls that oftentimes will not be overcome. And eternity is not good for those individuals. What did John learn? Somewhere in John's life, he learned to stop making quick assumptions about people and say, stop casting out those demons. And he started saying, you know, I need to love this person enough to see how I can best help them. And if he would have taken the time to do that with that person, he found out they were on the right page. Or instead of looking at the Samaritans and immediately saying, let's call down fire from heaven, he would have said, maybe we'll have the opportunity to come back and teach them. And you think it's a little bit of irony that in in, uh, Acts the 8th chapter, remember Philip went in and he baptized Samaritans? And you remember that he couldn't lay hands on them and give them the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit, so he had to call apostles down. You remember who was called down? Peter and John. You think God maybe was giving John a little bit of a wake-up call there? Ah, You wanted to destroy a village of these people a while back, did you? How about going down there and greeting your brothers and sisters in Christ? Wow. John had learned so much. Let's notice the second thing quickly. The second thing is, not only had he balanced, first, the truth and love, but second, he balanced ambition and humility. When we think about John and his writings and Keep in mind, that took place later in his life. The writings did. You won't find an author with more humility than John. It's usually easy to identify the authors in the book that they write. John records the history of Jesus Christ on this earth along with his apostles in the book of John. And it's obvious that he's bending over backwards to make sure that he's hidden. He doesn't call himself by name one time in his Gospel of John. Not one time. It's obvious that everything that he's wanting to do at this point in his life is to give God the glory for it. A second thing that we note here is that out of all of the Gospels, there's only one that records the washing of feet by Jesus in great detail. John does that. The one that went and said, hey, we're going to ask you something, Jesus, and go ahead and say yes to us. What do you want? We want to be on the right and left. Isn't it interesting that later in his life, when he sits down to write about the life of Jesus, he writes about the Master 
bowing down and washing feet. What do you think John has learned? He's learned that along with spiritual ambition comes humility. You know that if a man campaigns to be an elder, he won't be a good elder. There's no such thing in the Lord's church as somebody that wants power, wants the authority, wants to be seen being a great leader. Now, some man or woman out in the work world and the secular world, that might work. But that can be debated too. But it's impossible. Why? Because when we strike the balance that God wants in our spiritual life, He's saying, I want people to be qualified and the church needs Him. Will you serve? Yes, I'm willing to serve. Where does that come from? It comes from a humble heart that says, I'm willing to serve. Bible class teachers. The same thing uh, about ministers and about preachers. There's nothing that we need to do in the work of the Lord's church where we say, suffering, and glory. Jesus told him, you willing to be baptized in the suffering that I've had? And we know what Jesus did. He died upon the cross. John was the only apostle that saw the crucifixion of Jesus. We don't know of another apostle seeing that. But we know John was not only there seeing it, he was so close that Jesus was able to talk to him from the cross. And here earlier, out of arrogance and pride, he says, Lord, Lord, put, put me on one side and, and my brother on the other side. And the Lord says, no, but I'll let you be baptized into my suffering. And he's the one standing there near the cross seeing all of the suffering. And you know what? The man grew up in Christ. He didn't duck his head and run and say, oh, I'm not going to do that kind of suffering. He lived for generations. As all of the other apostles were being killed, He's still there. He's still there. He's willing to share in the suffering. over Galatians real early in history. And he said in his commentary that whenever John was a very, very old man, that several individuals would carry him into the worship service. And he would either lay down on a cot or set up, but he would have to be carried into the service. And you know how old phrases over and over and over. They said that's what John would do. And the phrase he would say over and over was, my little children love one another. If I ask you to give me a description of John, most in here would write down 
He's the apostle of love. Do you know what's ironic? He wasn't that in his youth. In his youth, he was a quick trigger. He was ready to blow them down, burn them from heaven. Shut your mouth. And now we go late in his life, and everybody says, listen to his words of love. He would always call them beloved children, my little children. How, how can that happen? He balanced his life. This morning, most of us would agree that we're pulled in a lot of different directions, and what we want to strike in our life is the right balance. And I want you to believe something, not because I say it, but because the Word of God will prove it passage after passage. And that is, if your life isn't in the right order spiritually, you're out of balance. And you can try harder at work and you still won't find the balance. You can try harder in your family and you still won't find the balance. You can try to gather up more friends and you still won't find the balance. Friends, we are made by God and He makes us so that we won't find our place in life until we find God, period. And if you don't have that balance in your life, please, don't stop trying until you find it. Love God with all of your heart. Give your life to God and see if everything else doesn't come in line and in order. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins, to make Christ your Lord and King because you're forgiven, because you're His servant, this morning would be a wonderful time to do that. If you don't know enough about what we're talking about, we'd love to talk with you after services or set up an appointment with you. We want to help you find your place in life. If you have been a Christian and somewhere along the way you've lost focus of what you ought to be, you'd say, this morning my life is out of balance. Most of us can relate to that, but it doesn't make it right. Don't leave here with your life out of balance. Repent of sins. If you need to confess those sins one to another, let's pray one for another. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.